Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. On this edition of the show, you'll meet Dr. Kimberly Andrews Espy, the new president of Wayne State University. You'll also meet the new president of Loyola High School in Detroit. And the Zuckelman Holocaust Center has a new multi-million dollar exhibit that you will not want to miss. An interesting and informative show coming up next. Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. We kick off 2024 on Women Who Lead by introducing you to our first honoree of the year, the 13th president of Wayne State University, Dr. Kimberly Andrews Espy. Congratulations and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Ann. I'm so pleased to be here. And thank you for coming here today dressed in that fabulous <laughs> Lions outfit. You look so great. Oh, well, thank you. It is wonderful to celebrate the outstanding impact that the Lions have here on Detroit. It's fun to cheer and, and to join the hometown crowd. And you were at the game. I was. It was totally amazing and so much fun to be a part of the spirit and the commitment to the city. It's just it's just fun. A lot Can of fun. you believe it? You arrived here last year in August and now... We are on the verge of something big for this team. Indeed. It is really exciting. And I'll be cheering next weekend, too. (laughs) I love it. So I want to talk a little bit about you. Tell us about your background. Where did you grow up? How did you get to where you are today? Sure. So thanks so much for the opportunity to share a little bit about myself. Uh, I grew up in Cincinnati, another Midwestern city that is focused on reinventing itself for the future. And so I see a lot of parallels between how I grew up in the Midwest, the values um, that we have, as well as here in Detroit. Um, I'm a neuroscientist by training, so I study the brain um, and how it impacts how young children uh, infants, toddlers, preschoolers, how it impacts how they're prepared to learn, how it impacts their outcome. And so I started my career uh, studying the frontal lobe of the brain. um, And that's an area that um, I was taught didn't do anything. And so I thought, surely that can't be right. You have this whole big old area of your brain doesn't do anything in a young child. And so my whole career has been about understanding how that helps us learn, how that guides our behavior, and how that influences us, our outcomes as adults. Um, I started my work at a community medical school that in some ways is uh, similar uh, to Wayne in that it was committed to training the next generation of doctors to return to its community and make an impact. In that case, it was rural Illinois, but here it's our uh, city of Detroit. So you're a young child and you're growing up in Cincinnati. How did you get into this field? (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. When I was in college, I always found myself migrating to degree, to a degree in psychology and biology. And I would try something else, and I'd add, think I'd add a minor, and then I'd come back to that. And then I'd try something else. I interned, for example, at a summer at a law firm, and quite frankly, I didn't like it very well. So I came back to psychology and biology. So I was always fascinated by how the brain works and what makes us unique as humans. And so that's how I ended up in uh, neuroscience. And how did you get to this position? president of Wayne State University. What's the path? Yeah, sure. So as I said, I started off at a a community-oriented medical school. And one of the things that was kind of unique about my career is that I was both at a medical school and a main campus. So I learned early on that different parts of the university do things somewhat differently. But what got me into leadership was actually an internship. Um, We had a program that was oriented towards advancing women that allowed you to shadow. I shadowed the provost and the vice president 
president for research. And what I learned is that there's an opportunity in leadership to make a difference beyond yourself, beyond your own um, research program. And so I had a number of roles at other institutions that um, were committed to community, whether it be the land-grant university at the University of Nebraska or whether it be University of Arizona. And the funny thing is that my previous role before here, I was provost, the chief academic officer um, at the University of Texas at San Antonio. And it's a university of opportunity, much like Wayne State, um, very committed to bringing um, access to top-tier education with wonderful faculty to those who have historically not been included in the higher education equation. Before that, I was the senior vice president for research at the University of Arizona, um, a very large research institution at that time was doing about three quarters of a billion in research. Now it's almost up to a billion. And so in some ways, you take that world-class research university, you take that university of opportunity, put those together, and that's really Wayne State. So in some ways, I wouldn't have guessed that this is where my career would head, um, but it certainly is... Um, so exciting to be a part of an institution that has that commitment to excellence, commitment to access, and to success for our community. And you do talk about commitment to community. When I think of Wayne State, that's what I think. So talk a little bit about that for you as you're now, you've been here about six months plus. Yes, indeed. And um, I can tell that you really do care about commitment to community. Yeah. So, you know, when I, I think about what a university does best, it's about transformation, right? It's about for our students, taking them to a different place than where they started. It's about developing new knowledge and having that be an impact relative to a new technology or medicine or solution. And it's about supporting new businesses, right? Like we do at TechTown. And so for me, Wayne truly is, we're in our community. We've been in Detroit from the very beginning. We work for our community because that's what the outcome is. But what sets us apart is we do with the community. You know, we're in grocery stores, delivering um, health care. You know, we're where people live. And that's what's different about Wayne State. That's what's special about Wayne State. So it is. It's a real pleasure to be here because fundamentally what gets me up in the morning is really seeing what a difference we can make because that's what will pay it forward, not just right now, but into the future. What are some of your goals for 2024 for the university? Sure. So I spend an awful lot of time because this is a big university and a gigantic community that has such a rich history and such an exciting future. So I spent this last fall trying to get out, talking to our students, talking to our faculty and staff, uh, talking to our alumni and community stakeholders. And there are a lot, right? <laughs> yes, You've probably they're seen everywhere. out and about, right? <laughs> I mean, and really what that's about is learning, hearing about what their aspirations are for the university, hearing from them what they see as opportunities. Because while I've been charged by the Board of Governors, and I'm so grateful for their support to lead this university, it's not not one person. It's inspiring a vision that we all have uh, for the institution. So when I think about my goals for 2024, uh, we've really just gotten started with that platform right. of learning. Um, so it's about building our team, right? Um, we're doing a fair bit of hiring at Wayne uh, to you know, get the right people on the bus, as uh, Jim Collins would say, right? Uh, we're working on identifying opportunities. And really, there's a couple of things. You know, I mentioned social mobility for our students. Um, we've started a new college to career initiative that's making more visible all the work that we do 
outside of the classroom that prepares students not only for job one but for career, whether it be internships or job shadows or undergraduate research, study abroad. You know, it depends what you're studying. But it's those kind of value-add experiences that allow our students to be ready to go um, on day one. Um, it's also about thinking about healthcare. How do we drive our health further into our community? You know, Wayne does an awful lot of work, whether it be um, through Haley Thompson's work with our faith-based network mm -hmm. um, in churches and grocery stores and schools, or whether it be our mobile health units that are going into the community. And then it's all about that economic development that I talked about. You know, the vast majority of jobs are in small business. And so the work that TechTown does supporting businesses, supporting entrepreneurs is really critical for the future. So that's what we're spending time on, really getting together what that platform would be of how we achieve the objectives in our strategic plan that will culminate in, I have an investiture coming up on March 18th, so um, there'll be a big speech and a big ceremony that kind of sets the path um, and galvanizes the next uh, period of innovation forward. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. I'm looking forward to it. You know, one of the things that I notice about Wayne State students is they get jobs. Yeah. They get jobs here in the city of Detroit, mm -hmm. in the state of Michigan, throughout the country. It's impressive. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. So, you know, if you take round numbers, you know, I'll do it. And as I say in Kimberly SB math, um, this <laughs> last year we graduated roughly 6,500 students, right? Um, those are doctors and lawyers and nurses and entrepreneurs and scientists and engineers and graphic designers, you know, the full range of of, uh, of uh, professions. And then when you think about that, about three, and three of every four students stay here in Michigan to wow. work. So that's 5,000, roughly, um, new graduates every year that are entering the workforce, that that's bring huge. their talents, experiences, and are hungry, again, to make a difference here in Detroit. So I'm really bullish on the future of Detroit and of Michigan, in part because Wayne and our other universities really are a part of that equation for economic success, whether it be talent development, whether it be small business, whether it be generating new technologies or solutions. That's what universities are about, transformation, really. The other thing that I've noticed about Wayne when I've driven through the campus in the last couple of years is the footprint is impressive. It looks good. Thank you. Thank you. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I often hear, you know, my my tours to talk to folks, they'll tell me, wow, I haven't been back on campus in so long. And I drive down Anthony Wayne and I see students buzzing, lots of backpacks moving back and forth. Students playing volleyball out in the snow. Right, <laughs> right. In Crocs, nonetheless. <laughs> I'm like, can you put on shoes? Yeah. Right. Give me boots. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so the, the nature of the campus, you know, you know, you have the kind of top-tier academics uh, in a relatively small footprint, footprint, but right in the heart of the city. So you can take advantage of the big city opportunities that I mentioned earlier. But you also have that small campus personalized feel that's easy to navigate with great faculty. So it is, it's a very special environment. And it's funny, through my uh, interviews and talking to students, I hear that a lot, mm -hmm. like they're coming yeah. to Wayne specifically because of that urban campus, but in a way that feels personal, that's around their growth, um, and that's committed for them to find their path that will take them to a different spot. So it is, it's an exciting time. It, it's a lot of fun. It's so I would like, encourage folks to drive around. Come join us. Exactly. It's like you're part of the city's we growth. We are. We are woven into the fabric of, of the city. And it's interesting. I'll oftentimes talk to groups of people, and I'll ask, you know, whether you or your family member is a graduate or connected to Wayne, raise your hand. And there's not a time that I've done that, 
that at least half of folks, usually it's more like three quarters, again, will raise their hand, whether it's themselves or their neighbor, family member, you know, that's a graduate of Wayne. And, you know, that's for a couple of reasons. We have always been about opportunity. So while we have a core of traditional residential students who are taking full advantage of our top-tier academics and outstanding experiences outside the classroom, we also serve working professionals who are coming back That's true. Uh, with evening classes and online classes because they know education will, again, take them to a different spot that allow them to get that promotion, to switch jobs in a way that um, can support their family. And that's what Wayne's about. The other thing about Wayne is Wayne has a commitment to helping students get to college, some that may not be able to afford it, correct? Exactly. So I'm so glad you asked me that question because you were right. Between our federal support from Pell Grants, the outstanding Michigan Achievement Scholarship that Governor Whitmer put into place, as well as our own financial aid, for example, this last year, 55%. More than half of our incoming class are going to Wayne without paying tuition and fees. Wow. So we are really investing in the success of our community because we recognize, you know, we're the university that enables students and access to a top-tier education who didn't always think college was for them. Um, we have a, a clear guarantee, for example, if you have a 3.0, you're admitted directly to Wayne. Just come. No mystery, no nothing like that, right? Um, and so, you know, we're trying to get that word out that we're here for you. Um, do your application and come and join us because it's just a really exciting time. And it is. We're about opening doors and providing opportunities, which is great. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Speaking of providing opportunities, what kind of advice do you have for young women that eventually might want to become a president of a big university like you? Like, what's your advice? How do you get on this path? Sure. So I'll say a couple of things. Um, First of all, as a female, and maybe this is just me, but I think the literature has proven otherwise, um, oftentimes what women do, they look at leadership opportunities, and let's say there's five or six things that are required or they're stated. They think, oh, I only have three or four of these. I won't be competitive, so you don't even put yourself into the process. Where, with all due respect to my male colleagues, they say, oh, there's one thing I've done. Click, I'm putting my application in, right? (laughs) So I would encourage my female colleagues to think a little bit more broadly. Don't let that hold you back. Because what's the worst thing? You don't get in the pool. But you learn something from the process, and it helps hone your skills in thinking about, okay, well, I have these two or three what's left that I need to put on my agenda that I can develop those sorts of experiences. The other thing that I would say is that um, I feel like I have gotten to be where I was, not by intentionality, but more by happenstance. And what I mean by that is someone asked me to do something, and I said, oh, that seems kind of interesting. I'll give it a try. Sure, I'll try it. That then you know opens up a whole different set of skills and experiences that then opens up a different window that you thought. And so I would encourage my female colleagues to say yes to those opportunities. Even though it may not appear that it's directly related, sometimes getting experience in things that are adjacent to or that don't always seem like they fully align will take you to a different spot that then sets up a whole new set of opportunities for you that makes it a lot of fun. I never would have thought when I started my career that I would end up to being a, be a president of a university. In fact, I never thought I would even be in leadership. I used to tell my husband, what do you do all day long in those meetings? I can't imagine, <laughs> right? And what do I do now? I have meetings all day long. Exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, life has a way of taking you to unexpected spots. 
And that's the fun of the journey, right? Is Absolutely. that where you, you know, that path is just, it, it's exciting to see where it takes you. Well, it's really great to meet you in person. Thank you for being here in the WJR studios today. And congratulations on being our first honoree of the year. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ann. It's been a real pleasure to be here. Dr. Kimberly Andrews SB, watch out. She's going to be doing great things on Wayne State's campus. Coming up next on Women Who Lead, you'll meet the first female president of Loyola High School in Detroit. We'll be back right after this. listening to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas, and I am here now with Dr. Deborah Richardson Phillips. She has been named president of Loyola High School in Detroit. Dr. Richardson Phillips, congratulations and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity to be with you today. Talk to us a little bit about your career. Where are you coming from? Sure. I, I got a very interesting career, and um, I started out in higher education uh, as a tenure track faculty member, and then transitioned into doing DEI work uh, at a faith-based institution right outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and transitioned from that role to doing more student programmatic work uh, and HR work, and then from from that went into corporate America and spent some time doing DEI work in corporate America and helping individuals understand not only uh, the quantitative kind of importance of DEI work and safety and belonging, but also the quantitative around the measures and, and how, how um, DEI, you know, really is tied to production and outcome, as well as the qualitative piece that is tied to making people have a sense of belonging and, and feel some ownership in organizations, some buy-in there. Um, from corporate America, I, I had the pleasure and the privilege. I was blessed to land at St. Ignatius High School in Cleveland, where I was their vice president or uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and have been able to do both the programmatic and strategic work uh, in Cleveland. So really excited to have this opportunity uh, to be at the helm of Loyola. So what are some of your plans for the school? I think it's initially very easy. I want to I want to get in and I want to get to know the community first. I want to. I've heard so many wonderful things about the school, and I certainly want to continue uh, with some of that legacy. But I want to get to know the students and the families and the communities. I want to figure out how to support my team, both the faculty, the staff, and the administration. And I certainly want to have this opportunity to build on the work of the of the president, uh, Dave Smith. Uh, with the Empower Loyola campaign. So certainly that's one of the things that I will be looking into immediately, uh, the three-pronged approach there and, and the $6.5 million that we have in the capital piece of this particular campaign and, and, and building um, a, a chapel uh, that will be kind of open to the community and uh, centers for uh, a welcome center for the students and um, opportunities for them to engage in their spirituality. And then the other piece of that is the, the $1.5 million that we have committed to financial assistance for students. So we'll definitely spend some time exploring affordability. We want to make sure that any student, any capable student who's willing to do the work, who's committed to education and faith formation, has the opportunity to join us at Loyola. And then the last piece is the $1 million that we have committed to developing and retaining Excellent faculty. So I'm, first of all, just happy to be here, happy to, to learn the community. And secondly, definitely want to immediately engage the Empower Loyola campaign. 
What do you see as some of the positives with regard to a private education in an urban area, in a city, for a young boy or girl? Mm -hmm. I think private education provides opportunity for targeted learning and, and, you know, specifically with Loyola, certainly have an all boy uh, student body. And I think that allows them to focus in a way that when you have co-ed schools, you don't get a chance to focus. There's, um, you know, that the bantering and the relationship building that goes back and forth and, and uh, the, the desire to in, impress the other gender that I think is absent in this particular space. I think it's the, the formation, this relationship, this development of the spirituality that informs decisions when our students leave. It's an opportunity to then not only impact their families, uh, certainly, but the, the city of, of Detroit. And so that private education gives you that opportunity to really kind of hone in on the the formation piece for us that I think is is valuable. And what do you see as some of the challenges with regard to getting a good education in an urban area? Well, there there are challenges, certainly with public school systems, and I'm not not familiar uh, with the Detroit system quite as familiar as I'd like to, to be to speak to any challenges they would have. But I would say, in general, funding is sometimes a challenge for city schools. Um, crowding, you know, we have uh, have the opportunity of small class sizes, so you have larger classes there. Um, and then, you know, sometimes uh, when you have uh, students who are able to um, garner an education from a community school, they may not necessarily take it as seriously as those students who are selected to attend um, private schools where, where it's competitive, where families may be invested in a very different way. So um, I think that the, the, the challenge is just in, in within public schools uh, can be funding. Certainly and we're, with our campaign, we're hoping to address some of the funding challenges that, that we have, but I think we have an opportunity to address them, address them in a very different way. And talk a little bit, too, about your faith and how faith can play a role in education. Right, absolutely. Faith should play a role, in my opinion, in education, which I'm a public school kid, so I had that experience. But as a result of then transitioning from corporate America into um, this vice presidency role at St. Ignatius, I was able to see how being able to address a student holistically and a identify how they make decisions in the core of who they are, I think it's, it's huge. I'm a developmentalist uh, by, by trade, so my doctorate is in human development. So the ability to really engage the whole student uh, and not to dismiss the idea that your faith or lack thereof can impact the decisions uh, that you make every day in life. And so we are hoping here at Loyola, what we are teaching students is that your faith should direct your path and your action. And understanding the Gospels uh, will will help you, we hope, make the the right decisions, as well as being surrounded by believers, right? So to be in that community and to watch us live our faith and watch us make difficult decisions, right? So we are living it uh, for our kids, and they're seeing that. And we're asking, we're modeling it, so we're asking them to follow our lead in this space. We value the education, we, we also value your vacation, and we know um, how that can impact your life. And the sooner, I think, uh, students learn that, uh, the better. Now, as a child, did you see yourself 
where you are today? Did you always want to be in education? What were your dreams and aspirations? Actually, that's a perfect question. I have always wanted to be a president. Um, Initially started out wanting to be at an HBCU, so I went to Winston-Salem State University in North Carolina, uh, an HBCU in North Carolina, and had such an amazing experience that I knew I wanted to be a part of making opportunities available uh, for others. So this, to me, you know, to to be able to be in a school that's primarily African-American boys is I'm overjoyed. Um, I, I can't tell you how excited I am to be able to provide um, leadership to this fantastic group. But I've always wanted uh, to be here. Never thought that it would be at a high school. So you're a Midwestern girl, so I don't think this will be much of an adjustment for you coming from Ohio to Detroit, Michigan. Not at all. In fact, the weather is very similar. And my, my husband and my children, my children actually live in L.A. now, but my husband said, there's no weather difference. Like, Yeah, couldn't you have found here. something in California? Yes, something just a little warmer. But we are, we are ecstatic to be moving to Detroit and to get to know the community and to see how um, I can make an impact um, as the leader of Loyola, but also uh, how I can engage in the community. I belong to uh, I'm the sorority. I'm a, I'm a Delta, so I belong to Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And so I'm hoping to partner with sorority sisters in the area. I'm hoping to engage the Divine Nine in the work that we are doing at the school and, and certainly to use the fraternities um, to connect with the school, with the school and to, to connect with the students there to really energize them and excite them. I know that we've had 13 straight years of 100% of our students being accepted to college. And so I think exposure to the Divine Nine will be yet another carrot to entice uh, our students to move on. So excited to be there. I'm a, I'm a football brat as well, so I'm really cheering for the Lions. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Dr. Deborah Richardson Phillips, you are a perfect choice for this fabulous school in the city of Detroit. Thank you for your time today. It was nice to chat with you and get to know you. Thank you, and I appreciate that compliment, but yeah. thanks so much. You are listening to Women Who Lead. We'll be back right after this. Our next guest on Women Who Lead is Ruth Bergman. She's the Director of Education for the Zuckelman Holocaust Center. Ruth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I want you to start out and just talk to our listeners about the Zuckelman Holocaust Center. Where is it? What's it all about? So we are located at 28123 Orchard Lake Road in Farmington Hills, Michigan, which is between 12 and 13 mile roads. And we are uh, dedicated to telling the story of the Holocaust um, and telling it through very much the voices of the survivors. We uh, serve about 150,000 visitors each year. We are open six days a week, Sunday through Friday. Uh, We welcome all of um, your listeners to come to uh, check out our museum, and we will have public tours, and we have all kinds of programming that goes on. Um, We also uh, have student visitors who come every year, about 23,000 come with their schools, and we uh, have programming for adults, and um, we do work for teacher workshops and training them how to teach the Holocaust. So we are a very robust educational center and a museum as well. 
And you have news for us today. You are reopening your core exhibit on Sunday, $31 million. And I find that fascinating. What's it all about? So we, our uh, museum was originally built in 1984, and we moved to our current location in 2004. And we really felt that it was time to engage in, um, you know, current museum research, Holocaust research. We wanted to tell the story in a newer, fresher way. And there were voices that we needed to make sure we included in the telling of our story. Um, We wanted to tell the stories of the survivors and the victims. We did not want to have a perpetrator-centered story of the Holocaust. So whenever we talk about what the Nazis and their collaborators did, we also talk about the impact that that had on the Jewish victims. We talk about what their responses were, what they could or couldn't do, how they survived, what their resistance and resilience looked like. Uh, These were very, very important pieces for us, and we're very proud of the fact that the story of the Holocaust, the way we tell it, begins and ends with the voices of our survivors. So paint a picture for us. When I walk in and I start my tour, what will I see? How will I feel? Well, how you feel is, to be honest, people come in not knowing what to feel, not knowing what to expect. It's a sad and difficult story, and we do our best to give people an experience that will make them come out feeling like they've learned something, uh, feeling that they have some understanding of what happened. And most importantly, we want people to feel empowered to go out and make a difference in their world that when they see the choices that people made, both to do wrong and to be an upstander, when we understand that choices, big and small, matter, and that the choices of individuals matter, we want people to then take that information and use it in any way that makes sense for them to make our world a better, safer place for everyone. I have a feeling that the center has picked up with regard to business after the terrible tragedy that started on October 7th? We really are a Holocaust museum, and our job is to tell the story of the Holocaust, the rise of the Nazi party, the dangers of hatred and the use of propaganda, and the events that happened between 1933 and 1945, and what happened to the survivors at the end of the war. Uh, We do not discuss politics. We don't discuss current events. That's not our, that's not our mission. And um, we have always had a very robust visitorship, which we're very proud of. Um, But that's, that's really what we're about. We are about the story of, um, of the Holocaust. Many survivors, about 4,000 survivors came to Michigan after the war was over. And we really try to feature not only survivor stories, but local Michigan survivor stories so that people understand that this is a story that impacted our community here in Michigan. Um, and of course, we have you know soldiers who fought in World mm-hmm. War II from our community or who settled in our community. That's our story and that's our focus. It's a great idea to do what you did because you probably don't have that many survivors left to actually come and physically tell their story. That's true. 
Um, we, we used to have survivors who were here all the time, and they might even have been the one to give the tour, and we don't have that anymore. So we wanted to make sure that their testimony, their words, whether it's through quotes or video clips, can still be heard, and that their experiences are still front and center. We do have a program where children and grandchildren of survivors tell their parent or grandparent's story, and also the long-lasting impact of the Holocaust on their lives and what it meant to be the child or grandchild of a survivor, whether it was dealing with trauma or wonderful examples of resilience and strength that their, that their relatives showed in being able to build a life here, uh, have a family, have a career, build a community. Uh, so we, we do find as many different ways of telling the stories of the survivors and of the Holocaust as we can, and different approaches reach different people. And we want to reach all learners in the way that they want to learn. As the Director of Education, what do you want me as a visitor to walk away with? What would you consider to be a success or a good day for you? That's a great question. Um, we want people to understand that the Holocaust happened because people made choices. <sighs> and those choices upon choices impacted everything that happened. Uh, it was not inevitable. It's not like a hurricane or a tsunami. People were responsible. They were responsible for the evil, and they were also responsible for those moments of light, people who were rescuers, people who showed incredible strength and fortitude, and that those same lessons about choice uh, impact us today and should guide our, our decision-making today, that what we do matters. So that's one lesson that we want people to understand. We also want people to understand the importance of having respect and compassion for the other, that somebody being different from you doesn't mean that they're any less entitled to dignity and respect and um, the, the right to live their lives. Now, as the Director of Education for the Zuckelman Holocaust Center, you talk with a lot of passion, Ruth Bergman. You can tell that this is not just a job for you. This is your heart, your soul. How did you get into this? And you must love it. I do love it, which I know sometimes sounds like a funny thing to say about Holocaust <laughs> right. education. Yes. Um, but it really is an incredible opportunity to be able to teach these lessons and, and see the real impact and difference that we can make in people's lives. But I will say that there is also a personal connection for me <sighs> because my parents and my father-in-law were all Holocaust survivors. So there, there is that piece to it as well. Um, but I... I I feel that the lessons are so important, and that's that's critical. Um, I, I do want to say one other thing, if I can. Sure. Um, the the team that worked with me on content, and and really there were so many people who who helped gather the information and the content. I don't want to mitigate that, but the the three lead people were myself and um, Elisa Tick and Katie Chaka Parks. So to have a team of women who were working on the content and were able to have this you know, opportunity of a lifetime and working, of course, with our curator, Mark Mulder and the others to put this together was really something that was very, very special and also a part of my excitement. And one of the pieces that we wanted to make sure we added in the new exhibit is to highlight the stories of women, because women experienced the Holocaust in some ways differently from how men experienced it, because they experienced it as women. Mm. 
So whether we're talking about violence against women or issues of pregnancy or being left alone to take care of a family after the men were taken away, when we talk about women as partisans and fighters, we wanted to make sure that those stories were told also. And so it was very empowering for us and we hope for our visitors to see that, that depth and that, that uh, breadth of Holocaust storytelling. That's awesome. Now, this took a long time. This $31 million new exhibit <clears throat> has been in the works for the last seven years. So you guys yes. have put your heart and soul into this. Yes, yes. Um, it is something that we have been working on, and we really had one opportunity to do this and to do it right. And we wanted to make sure that we were creating an experience for our visitors and for everyone who is engaged in any way with our organization, whether it's through our events and programming, our workshops. We wanted to make sure that they had the experience that they deserve and that would be impactful. And so, yes, it was it was a very long and well-thought-out process, working with an incredible museum design team and architects. Um, it was it was a huge undertaking, and we're very, very proud of it. And we have our opening on Sunday. We open at 9.30, and the public is welcome. We will have um, opportunities to go through the uh, core exhibit and to hear some talks in the afternoon. And we really welcome everyone to come and see See the new Zeckelman Holocaust Center. And it's clear, Ruth Bergman, that this is a mission to make sure people never forget. Yes, we, we want to make sure that people remember the Holocaust, learn the lessons of the Holocaust. Uh, we can't make a better tomorrow if we don't understand the history of yesterday. That's a, 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 an important lesson that we want everybody to learn. And we are passionate about the lessons of the Holocaust and how we can use them um, in our life. Ruth Bergman, Director of Education for the Zuckelman Holocaust Center, thanks so much for your time today. It was really nice talking to you and getting to know you and your mission. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. Thanks for joining us, and have a great day. 